We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. From the lovely confines of my South Buffalo apartment, it's the Rockpile Report. I am your producer, Chris Krueger, and with me, my recovering voice host, Drew Gear, who spent Super Bowl Sunday with no voice because his child brings home sickness. Just sabotages me constantly. Vance, I gotta tell you, it's, 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 it's interesting sitting here watching Chris open the show. Like it's because <laughs> I'm better than you at it. <laughs> when it comes to voiceovers, Chris actually he's not bad. He does all of our live reads. He does all this stuff, and it's just funny watching the look on his face when he goes to launch this. I can't imagine what it looks like when I have to open the show. You look like shit. I mean, that's every day though. Yeah. Folks, I don't know if you can tell, I'm just now getting my voice back, which is why we're recording so late in the week. My child sabotages me left and right. It's I love him, but he also might be the devil. And it's <laughs> I'm sick constantly because of him going to daycare. It's incredible. But so I spent Super Bowl Sunday and so much of the last week just just going through it. Right, this is, so we're now finally getting behind the microphones to talk about the end of the NFL season and what surprisingly lays ahead, apparently, according to Las Vegas for the Buffalo Bills. First of all, if we're going to talk about the end of the season appropriately, it has to, right, right, we always kind of recap. Let's start with what Iman from Q42 Barbecue crowned as the last tailgate of 2021-2022. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday was a thing, right? Doug, Iman, my dad, myself. 11 o'clock in the morning with heaters going and grills out. I think we had three diff- two different grills, two smokers going, all just music, eats, just hanging out in my driveway, drinking beer. 
I'm sure my wife, I'm sure my wife wasn't thrilled. She's probably looking around going, don't these idiots do this enough during the season? Why are they doing it at my house? You're going to scratch that itch one more time. You're going to be closed down for a while, unless we do a summer thing. Now, Chris, you, having been to my house, you know how easy it is to just go inside from my driveway. Yeah. Walk like, down a couple of steps into walk, the house. Into the house. And there's that. that's where the TVs are, the couches, the, the, the hosting area. Yeah. I think we hung out inside for all 15 minutes. We spent the entire day outside of the outside, game. Outside of the outside game. Outside of the game. Pre-game, seven hours in single-digit temperatures in my driveway. I give him a lot of credit. He really does love the art of tailgating. I love that he's a part of our crew now. I hate that he's a part of our crew now because that means you get better at something you were already above average at. So now that you have like an actual pro griller and uh, barbecuist on speed dial... It just irritates me. Yeah, well, look at the spread we put out. Yeah, it was. That I, might, might, might have been the finest Super Bowl spread that I've ever seen. I did not touch the beef ribs. <sighs> See, you missed out then because it wasn't my work. It was Iman's. No, I no. I, I ate the thighs, the drums, B- the bird, bird, ends, bird ends, beef ribs, drums. I had a pulled pork nacho bar. How many people can say that? Uh, his wife, Iman's wife, made macaroni and cheese that while I was up coughing myself awake at three o'clock in the morning. The sequestered to the couch so as not to wake up my pregnant wife. I was just shirtless eating a bowl of mac and cheese in the dark by myself. That's how good that stuff was. <laughs> and of course, Mark Smith showed up with a Batman themed Little Caesars pizza because that's who Mark is. I had a couple of, of the uh, pieces of the crazy bread. I, was, I told Mark, I was like, I can't believe you slaved over in the kitchen all afternoon making this this crazy bread stuff it was it was delicious i didn't touch the uh, little caesar's pizza pizza though well, the the burnt ends were fantastic though iman does good work yeah was this or was this not the most sober i mean for me it was the most sober and anticlimactic super bowl ever i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we were so close to being in that position so and, you felt some of that yeah okay we should have been in that position if not for 13 seconds. So that takes... Because prior years, Super Bowl, you're prepared for it because we're out in November. Now we're making playoff runs and we're expected to make playoff runs for the foreseeable future. So if we're not in the Super Bowl in the coming years, it's going to feel like this every single season. I'm not going to lie to you. I thought back to a moment last year. My dad sent me a really heartfelt text message before the Chiefs game last year. And he said, listen, this this feeling you have right now, embrace it, because this is the last time that you'll go into a season without having expectations. Yeah. You've been able to just enjoy that what 2020 was is just this freewheeling ride to a dream season for your football team. You will there's going to be expectations next year and it's going to change the way you enjoy this. So. It soak this in for what it is. And I thought back to that text message. I actually went through our text conversations and found that conversation ahead of this game because he was right. It changed the, the expectations of what 2021 were supposed to be changed the way we saw everything. We lamented the, the failures a little bit harder. And I think that it muted some of the things that we would have otherwise celebrated a little bit harder. It's it definitely changed things. 
And so by the time we got to the Super Bowl, I think I was already pretty stoic about everything. I was also sick and had no voice, which was probably a great thing for you and every Chris. True or false? One of the best things about this Super Bowl for all of you people, you, Kyle Trimble and his wife, uh, Mark Smith and his wife, is that nobody had to listen to me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was literally rendered mute. Yeah. We couldn't hear <laughs> you. I, the game itself was boring. I, I, everything. I mean, the, the, I remember one ad and it was the one with Larry David in it. That's That's the only reason I remember it. Good ad. Anything you recall from the ad front? No, I didn't really pay attention to the ads. I was more interested in the game. I'm on the op on the opposite spectrum from you. I thought the game was was great. There wasn't a whole lot of scoring for two teams that were setting the world on fire. They they didn't. There was nothing. There was no boom. There was just okay. I guess we're kind of playing football. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Here. I thought it was a great game. There was only a handful of wow plays. I mean. Uh, <laughs> There was no penalties whatsoever right up until there was a million of them right at the end of the game to decide the outcome. The officiating, can we agree, was pretty awful. Yeah, it was a little odd to start throwing flags at the end of the game. They threw like three in a row. Like earlier on in the game, you watch a guy almost get his helmet ripped off. That was hilarious. Then follow blatant uncalled false starts across multiple positions in the offensive line. Terrible holding calls. It, Guys, guys who are here was the big one for me. Guys who are literally throwing punches on the sideline, no flags. But somebody on the Bengals' offensive line says something mean to a defender on the Rams, and a flag for taunting goes up. (laughs) Well, they got taunted on that. uh, Hey, Chris, words are violence. Yeah, they got well. Cincinnati got a taunting penalty because that uh, uh, one defensive back that didn't dress ran onto the field to celebrate. It's all dumb. It was just, it, the whole thing was stupid. Yeah. Even the Rams' final game-winning touchdown drive had no mystery to it. Because the Cincy defense, which as a whole has been mediocre in the red zone all season, because of some untimely penalties and just general sloppiness, they were going to end up getting, what, nine? If you played it out every, if they had, had to play out every single down, they were still going to get nine cracks at gaining less than eight yards. It, you have to score at that point, right? Yeah. Okay. And also, just rooting interests. I know there was a lot of people pulling for the... Chris, who are you rooting for? Any time a Super Bowl has a team that has never won a Super Bowl, I am pulling for that team. I was on the Bengals. See, I'm the opposite. I don't want anybody to get there before we do. If I, and maybe that Come speaks on, to our personalities. Save the best for last. Because, see, you're generally, d- d- people don't hear from you much, so they don't. the listeners don't get much of a feel for who you are as a person. But deep down, underneath all of this hair product and chino and <laughs> the, the once they get past the fashionista part of Chris Kruger, they find out you're actually a good person. You generally want good things for most people. I, on the other hand, am garbage. I want nothing good to happen to anybody else. If it's like, if I haven't achieved that, I don't want you to beat me there or else I will resent you for it. My girlfriend said something to me this week about um, volunteering for something. And I was, and she was going to do it like volunteer. And I was like, you know what? Good on you to be able to do that. Cause I won't volunteer my time for something unless it benefits me. All right. So maybe you're not good. Maybe I've misread you. <laughs> Hilarious. 
Yeah. It's like, oh, you want to go pick up garbage on the side of the road like prison inmates? No. What, that does not benefit me. No, I didn't me. break the law. I'm not going no, out there to do that. That doesn't benefit me. I, so ultimately, though, I had to root for the Rams because there was too many players like Stafford and Donald and Robert Woods, former standout Buffalo Bills wide receiver who always deserved better while he was here, who might never get back to a Super Bowl stage at that point in their careers. I, I needed to root for them, so I guess I'm glad that they won. The common belief both here in Buffalo and around social media from a number of prominent sports writers is that the Bills probably win that game based on how each team's offense struggled to perform. It, first of all, do you agree with that sentiment? 100%. I can't. Chris, watching the way those quarterbacks played, I can't believe that the Bills would have lost that game if they were in it. But I also can't stop asking myself this question in the aftermath. If you had to pick a loss, which one would you prefer? The way the Bills lost to Kansas City or the way Cincy lost the Super Bowl? The way that Cincinnati lost in the Super Bowl. Uh, That's the Really? Yeah, 13 like 13 seconds and what did the Chiefs start out at? The, the third the it was a touchback, right? So 25-yard line that you gave up what, 50 yards in 13 seconds? So you'd rather have it be that your defense collapsed in a pit of uh, miscommunications, your defense collapsed in a pivotal moment, you didn't get the, a coin flip didn't go your way, and that was the end of the game. Or that the thing that you were supposed to be good at, playing offense, and the thing that you knew you didn't do well, which is protecting the quarterback, all went to shit in one pivotal moment and somebody makes a mockery of your team going forward and forth in, in one of the most embarrassing outcomes of a fourth down conversion attempt I've seen in a long time. And it happens in the final moment of a Super Bowl. Yeah, there's a... I saw, this came across our timeline because Brett Coleman had retweeted it. But I'd be crushed! I got a tweet here from... From Ben underscore baby, which is not an you would think that that's a handle that does not tweet out quality information, but he does cover the Bengals for ESPN. Okay, this is his tweet. Bengals coach Zach Taylor, when asked about improving the offensive line in the offseason, referenced that the line was good enough to make it to the Super Bowl. When it comes to Burrow's 70 sacks, he said. Things need to be better as a whole, as a unit. <laughs> Please tell me they want to run it back with the same group. Please tell me that. That's what it sounds like. So this is my point. Would you rather lose because your offensive coach, who's your offensive guru coach, and your hyper-talented quarterback were foiled by the thing that they knew sucked? It was the frog and the scorpion. They said, listen, we just need our offensive line to do their job for one play. And the offensive line said, hey, don't trust me. Hey, don't trust me to do that. And then when it stung them in the ass and they both died, they went, offensive line, how could you fail me? And they go, listen, this is who we are. We told you. You knew what we were before you relied on us. <laughs> I feel like that would be more frustrating to me. Chris, you're talking to a guy who hit his knees and almost teared up a little bit. When the Seahawks threw that goal line interception to give the Patriots another Super Bowl? Yep. 
that play there would have crushed me if it had happened to the Bills. See, I don't look at when it if it's if you're putting the Bills in the situation, I don't see the Bills losing the way Cincinnati does because my brain implements Buffalo's offense into that situation because if you're a Bills fan and you're watching that, well, if it was the Bills, the Rams just left Josh Allen too much time, and I would have trusted Buffalo to go down to either score to win that game and on the final drive or Josh Allen to get Tyler Bass into field goal range to tie it and send it into overtime. I trust. I, that's what I go on. Yeah. And yet the play wasn't a run because because the offensive line had already already sustained Burrow had already sustained a knee injury because of that offensive line. Let's trust him for another play. I don't know why you I, w- I don't know why you wouldn't run a running play with Joe Mixon and do like a sweep I, to I, the we not, can all to sit the here and non- talk about that. But here's Aaron what I'll say: Donald side. I'm maybe in the minority here, but I'd rather take the loss we took than lose the Super Bowl. I would rather lose to the Kansas City Chiefs the way that we did, given that, than have it happen in the Super Bowl the way it just happened to, Can- to, to Cincinnati. And I, that's just, again, I might be in the minority in thinking that. It's just knowing how hard I would be taking that Super Bowl appearance to know that it came down to that play and the way that it failed. I feel like that would be so damning. I don't know what I would do. Either way, the game is over. It's in the books, and in typical Rock Pile Report fashion, <laughs> Chris, don't we have, aren't we almost legally obligated to provide we are. heroes and zeros of the Super Bowl? I'm going to start off with this year's zeros. Fucking embarrassing! The first guy is former Buffalo Bill Quentin Spain. Now, I'll say this. He took a, there, there was a lot of unnecessary, quote unquote, hate thrown it on social media in the aftermath of this loss. Now, Chris, I just got done extolling the virtues of how terrible I thought that final play of the game was, right? Yep. It's 100% his fault. It is. But a lot of the static he caught on social media the next day, it, it almost seemed overboard. And yet the petty man in me says that he had to know on some level that airing the dirty laundry about his time with the Bills and the Titans organizations that he was doing during Super Bowl week, it was going to leave in its wake a multitude of people who were going to come for him in a moment of weakness. Because deep down, and I think we've talked about this, people are inherently ugly, aren't they? Yeah. People are bad. Look at you. People are bad by nature. And anybody who convinces themselves otherwise is, is kidding. You're kidding yourselves. When you look at the analytics in the film, the only defense you can find for what Quentin Spain did during the Super Bowl is that, hey, at least he wasn't the worst bangle for most of the game. Isaiah Prince, their right tackle, posted a single-digit pass-blocking grade of less than five. I didn't think that was possible, Chris. 61 snaps, a pass-blocking grade of less than five. Spencer Brown was better than that. He's a rookie. I think Isaiah Prince might have been, too, wasn't he? Maybe. Why don't you Jamie that for me? Google where Isaiah Prince was drafted for me. Hakeem, I don't know your name and don't need to because they better cut you this offseason. Their right guard allowed seven pressures and was credited with allowing three sacks in the game. <laughs> like that's, that's horrifying. Uh, sixth round, 2019. 
Okay, so you've you've been in the league, and yet the team decided to make you a But also sixth round. Okay, but the team decided to make you a starter. I guess he was drafted by Miami and then signed with the Bengals. Great. If those are your standards, then yeah, Spain wasn't the worst. But he didn't fare much better. His blocking grades were atrocious. And then on the final play, he did his best impression of somebody whose controller got unplugged mid-video game. (laughs) He just stopped moving. You watch the replay. Aaron Donald cuts across his face, and he never gets out of his stance. He just stands there. He just freezes. Donald goes into the backfield unimpeded and wins the game for the Rams. The offensive line was atrocious. And then in the aftermath, he decided that instead of just ignoring the internet, from fans to team former teammates who were talking trash about him, he got into he tried to mix it up and wage war with everybody, making him a two-time loser because as we know, the internet is to date undefeated, right? Yeah. You don't beat the internet. It was ugly. And we all feel bad for Quentin Spain. But there's somebody who I think took an even worse loss, a bigger L, and that's old people who didn't like the halftime show. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Did you know that Snoop Dogg smokes weed? (gasps) God, if I wasn't sick, I could do a better guess. God. Yeah, I didn't know that he smokes weed, huh? I know. Now that you've all picked your jaws collectively up off the floor, yes, a man whose marijuana exploits are the stuff of legends got high immediately before a televised performance. Anybody who's shocked by that clearly doesn't remember the time back in 2017 when the NHL booked him to do their all-star game. And Snoop Dogg got so high that his DJ of the skills competition, he forgot that he was supposed to play the clean versions of his songs and opened the ceremony up by blasting the explicit version of the next episode and sang along with it while 10-year-olds laughed and their parents looked on in horror. Go watch the video on YouTube. It still remains one of my wife's... Like, when she's in a bad mood, she'll watch it and just start giggling. Chris, you know how hockey crowds are. Oh, yeah. Here's, Here's Snoop Dogg. Word for word, dropping MFs, gang signs. The, the the pearl clutching was priceless. The guy tokes a bit, and you need to deal with it, everybody who's over the age of 50. And you can be mad that it's not your type of music, okay? I, I, I guess I understand that. But let's not act like all the people who didn't like the halftime show's taste in music is any better. Chris, I've got a list here, if you, if you want to scroll up to it. First of all, all of the crap I've been subjected to over there. First of all, there was that one halftime show that was supposed to be Indiana Jones themed with Tony Bennett. Yeah, that sucked. And I remember as a child being upset because at 10, halftime is when we would get a little bit of Nintendo time in between like the game. And we got robbed because my mother was like, oh, no, it's Disney. You guys should watch this. And afterwards, she apologized to us because even she knew that as as a 10-year-old, she knew that I knew it sucked. How about The Who, Chris? Do you remember that one? I don't remember most halftime shows because they mostly suck. The whole band sounded like they were hungover 
and they were piping in the like they were having they like they did the thing where they fake go to the crowd like oh hey you sing and then they were piping in the crowd calls back to them during their songs it was painful to watch and then the cherry on top how about this for anybody who thought that this halftime show wasn't good and not old school values you made me listen to bruce springsteen you guys want more of that the boss sucks and everybody living outside of the New Jersey border knows that. For as pretentious as he is with his stupid little rolled up sleeves, he's still somehow not the worst dressed member of his band. Steve Van Zant drives me crazy. The faces that he and that, what's that drummer, the one who's on the late night show? Oh, um. Max. Yeah, my mom's met him before. Max Weinberg? Is yes, it? Max Weinberg. Jesus Christ. His son His son is the drummer for Slipknot. They make dumber faces, okay, than you did in your headshots. Remember those? I sometimes throw them on social media when I'm in a bad mood and I need to laugh. Which ones? My first ones or yes, my second ones? Yes, your first ones. All right. They, they make dumber faces than you ever did, which is hard to do. To quote the comedian Big J. Okerson, you don't get to have a catalog of over 7,000 songs and have me say that three or four of them are just okay. I'm not the one who sucks here, Springsteen. It's you. I'll say this. It's garbage. It was a garbage performance. And if I ever have to be subjected to Born to Run or Glory Days in the middle of grabbing a halftime snack again, I'll flip a fucking table over on your carpet and leave. I'll take my plate full of food, turn it face down onto your carpet and leave unannounced. That's it. That's terrible. Steelers-Cardinals was a Super Bowl for the ages. It was a masterpiece. It had everything that you would want in a Super Bowl. Dramatic momentum shifting plays, big runs, the, a defensive, Casey Hampton, I think it was, or was it James Harrison? With like yeah. a 90-something yard fumble return? Interception. Interception return. It had everything, real drama, right down to the final wire. And it's the same old people out there complaining about this halftime show that are responsible for dropping that steaming pile of New Jersey into the middle of an otherwise immaculate football game. You people don't get to lecture me. I, Chris, Prince's show was the best ever. No, none of the halftime shows are good. Okay. This is... this In is, your opinion. In my opinion, the halftime show on Sunday sucked hard. It'll be a good halftime show the next time they do a halftime show and they play one song from start to end. When do they do that? Never. I don't want to listen to a minute and a half of this song and then they transition into another shitty song. And then I got to look at fucking Mary J. Blige's fucking beaten thighs. She had bruises all over her thighs. She looked like shit for 50 with her softball thighs. The whole halftime show sucked. It wasn't good. So you are one of these people. It wasn't good. It was awful. But but do you also live on the island of you don't like any you don't like any halftime show? No, the last good halftime show was the one that involved Janet Jackson. We all know why. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was the last oh, Okay. That was okay. the last so, folks, memorable you understand that this show. Is a, so you're dealing with someone who's unreasonable. The Prince halftime show will go down as the greatest ever. After that, they might as well just cancel the entire practice and just replay that every year. No one would turn it off and no one will run to Twitter to show their age by whining about it. I think we should all just come to this agreement as a society together and we could all be happier moving on. 
Now that brings us to the winners of the game. And there was a couple. There was a couple MVPs, some people that we'd, some we might even call heroes. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. Now, we talked about it beforehand, and we all agreed that Cooper Cup probably was going to win it, right? Allegedly. You could argue, you had a strong argument for Aaron Donald, who was playing against children. Well, he was one of mine, and it was one of the laughs that I got from the game itself was when Ben Albright put out a tweet about the Bengals' offensive line performance. I, I mean, it. we all knew they were bad after watching them give up nine sacks against Tennessee, but the real measure of their ineptitude wasn't put on display until the Super Bowl. In the 2021 season, no offensive line had given up a less than 20% pass block win rate across the entire formation for a game at all, for the entire uh, entirety of the NFL season. At the end of the third quarter, the Bengals were at 14%. <coughs> That's a mess. And a credit to the overwhelming talent that the Rams built with their front four. But Aaron Donald was the crown jewel of that. And then he was just too good coming out of halftime. You saw him kind of picking up speed like a ball rolling downhill. And onto the final play of the game, he was just locked in. It was He was too much for too long. And it was too much for Cincy's offensive coordinator and quarterback to navigate. He destroyed them. I mean, I, I could make a case that he might have deserved that if he had had a stronger first half. You could have made a case for him being the MVP. The other one that I could come up with is whoever designed 50 cents ceiling mounted harness. <laughs> now, obviously, that's a joke. I heard all of your jokes. No, uh, oh, 75 cents. Oh, he looks like a whole dollar. None of you are original. Social media was flooded with it. I just found it annoying. Chris, what is it about rappers that when so many of them retire... They can't help but get fat. And yet at the same time, Snoop Dogg, he doesn't look like he's aging at all. Because he smokes weed. What if we find out someday that excessive marijuana intake is the fountain of youth? Probably is. It's a plant. Well, 50 Cent was no exception to the curse. I... The reaction I had to 50 Cent swinging down from the rafters, dressed in white, like a fat version of Elvis. Like, picture Elvis at the end of his career. It was probably the same reaction Kelvin Benjamin's teammates on the Panthers had when he showed up for training camp weighing 283 pounds, just popping out of his uniform at the seams. <laughs> oh, whoever designed that ceiling harness, good for you. You did you did the job. Con- in fact, congrats to everybody who made this Super Bowl what it was, because I'm happy it's over. Right? We get to close the book on this season. I felt like it was pretty anticlimactic. And now we all get to move on with our lives. Or so I thought, right? I figured, okay, this is the end. We can all move forward in a rational manner <clears throat> on into the offseason. <clears throat> Pages are collectively being turned. Brother Bill cut off his mullet and boxed up all of his Bill's memorabilia until next year in a video over on his Twitter page. From the team's official PR Twitter handle, the players themselves, it seems like everybody is, to quote Bill Belichick, on to 2022, including Las Vegas. And Bills fans woke up, much like I did, the morning after the Super Bowl, to something of a surprise in that regard. Starting with the opening of Monday morning's gambling, sports books were opening up futures on the 2022-2023 Super Bowl. 
already taking wagers on who would be crowned champion. And the Buffalo Bills are a surprising second in the NFL at plus 650 to 700, depending on what you're looking at. I saw seven plus 750 with the Chiefs being one at 650. Let that sink in for a second. The Bills had one of the most bitterly disappointing ends to a season in recent history. And yet Vegas, good old, unemotional, ever-rationalizing Matthew Vegas, is willing to wager about 50 basis points that our Buffalo Bills are not only capable of winning the AFC, never mind the division, but the entire conference and winning the whole damn show in 2023. Right now, as of today. My first question is, how? And the second question might be tougher. What does it mean for gamblers and just normal Bills fans who like knowing that their team is regarded as one of the league's best? Chris, let's jump into this. First of all, what can you tell me? You gamble. I don't. What can you tell me about how these futures are arrived at? I would think that they kind of break, you break down the roster in... All right, we know this guy's not coming back. Like uh, Emmanuel Sanders or Matt Breda, you know that they're not going to come back. But why don't you hit the old Google machine and tell me what you can find about NFL futures? All right. In the meantime, look at this. For for people who might understand those uh, money lines and spreads, KC. If you look at just the, the just the spreads, thirteen to two are the odds for KC, and Buffalo seven to one according to Caesars. I don't know what the hell 13 to two is, but again, it sounds like they're about half a point apart. Doesn't it? Sure. <laughs> What's that? Six and a half versus seven. I, I don't know. What I do know is that everybody, every bills fans favorite pastime is to take 50 to a hundred dollars and throw it on the bills to win the super bowl in the off season for the last decade and a half. It was just a funny bet that you could make that you'd say, okay, if I win, it's going to make me a couple grand down the road. And if I'm wrong, it's not enough to break me. What would that $100 pay now, Chris? You know betting lines better than I do. When I see plus 700, if I were to wager 50 bucks on that, what would it pay me if the Bills actually won the Super Bowl? Well, if you bet 100 on a plus 750 bet, that means you win 750. Okay, so, so I win you, 750 on the Bills. You'd win half of that if you're putting 50 down. Okay, so I'd be 375. Yeah. So I'm 375 in for 50 bucks. That doesn't seem like it's... It doesn't seem nearly the draw that it used to be. It used to be up in the thousands. Yeah, that's probably where the Bengals were to start the season. And the question I have is, what, what factors could they possibly be taking into when they come up with this? Because Vegas isn't... De- this isn't some babe in the woods. This is Las Vegas. These sports books don't, they're not as knee-jerk reactionary as we are, as the media is, as players themselves are. Yeah, you take a look at who you know is not going to be back on the roster. Like I said earlier, like we have like a Breda or a Sanders. And then you also factor in, you factor that in with every NFL team, and then you also factor in the schedule. Schedule's got to play a huge part if, you know, we're playing a first-place schedule. For sure. And I guess maybe that's the one data point you have, because if you think about it like this, and it's part of what I hate about this practice, 
There's a hard and fast value assigned to the outcome of a sporting event months before the potential. Think about what all could transpire before the end of the 2022 season. Uh, You're talking about potential retirements, coaching changes, free agency, the draft. None of this stuff has taken place. So there's a ton that's up in the air. And yet, at the same time, before all the trials and tribulations of this 2021 season, Vegas believed, based on futures bets last year, that KC and Buffalo were the cat's ass in the AFC. Did that or did that not basically come to fruition short of one half of football? Yeah. If Kansas City doesn't pull the biggest collapse since Enron, it would have been Kansas City playing for another Lombardi this past weekend, and it would have underscored how correct Vegas was in identifying these are the teams that are going to be good six months from now, seven months from now, almost 12 months from now. That's wild, isn't it? Yeah. So there is some merit to the thinking being put in, even if the information isn't complete. And the only the only data point that seems to make sense that you would have right now without knowing who teams are going to sign in free agency, without knowing where that could come from, is the schedule. It's the schedule. It's the quarterbacks. It's the makeup of your current roster. And it's how things lay out in front of you. Now, I want to look at that first. Chris, first, I want to look at our quarterback. We know what Josh Allen is, correct? He's yeah. now proven two years in a row that he might be the most complete quarterback in the NFL. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He's graded out as a runner this year better than anything Lamar Jackson could put on the table. His two playoff games, he was, what what did they say? He had almost perfect, it's the first time a quarterback has ever had an almost perfect playoff. Yeah. Yeah, the Patriots game, he was perfect. And then the KC game, he was electric. Set the world on fire. No quarterback has ever had that. Yeah. Not even Patrick Mahomes. So I guess... We're looking at this going, they know that we have that guy. And they know that the Chiefs have their guy. They know Joe Burrow's good, but they also saw what happened to the rest of the team. And they don't know what's going to happen there because they have, what, we were talking about it with Paul Wineski a week or two ago. The the Bengals have all this cap space, but they also have like 30 players under contract. Yeah. So they've got a lot of work to do. I guess you could use that to just say quarterbacks win, right? That's important. 
premier quarterbacks win you more games and therefore they're, they, they become a part of the weighted average of what you expect a team to accomplish. They know who the coach is. They know the pedigree Sean McDermott carries into things. They have an idea of what our defense is going to look like, both what we're losing in free agency and what the makeup of our team historically has been under these coaches. So when you boil these things down, the only thing left is strength of schedule. And yet anybody who's smart knows that traditional strength of schedule is an antiquated way of looking at things because interseasonal variance is so high. Seattle was a playoff team last year. This year, they won four games, <laughs> right? And they don't have a first-round pick. But if you looked at a team's strength of schedule metric, it was always based on what they accomplished last year. That seems flawed, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. It, meanwhile, Dallas was picking in the top half of the draft last year, and they were the only one to win their division this year who picked inside the top 10, or I think it was top 10. 14 to win their division. So Cleveland on the other side, if you're talking about the AFC was an 11 game winner in a divisional round team that fell on its face this year and missed the playoffs and Jacksonville. All right. So Jacksonville sucked and then they sucked again, which is hilarious because they deserve it. (laughs) I'm just taking an opportunity to punch down. Screw those guys. They, it's hilarious that you can be that bad for two seasons and fire your coach two years in a row. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I took I, I took away a few things. and I, Here's what I want to look at. When you boil this all into a soup, right? Like the great Bruce Nolan and his quarterback stew that he talks about. I look at strength of schedule as a, a mishmash of a few things. When you try to dissect team schedules, how many elite or upper echelon quarterbacks do you play? Because that matters. Yep. Even when the Packers have a shit roster. You could still lose to Aaron Rodgers and a crappy Green Bay team, right? Yes, he is on our he is on our schedule to play <clears throat> here if he plays. if he plays with the Packers. However, Green Bay has never won in Buffalo ever. Isn't that wild? Wild. How you also have to look at how many previous year playoff teams are on your schedule. To me, that's also important because that means that. There's not a ton of teams that, hey, that go from being in the playoffs one year to just atrocious the next year unless they actually try. Look at the Buffalo Bills. I'm talking about the Buffalo Bills 2017 to 2018. The Bills went into 2018 going, okay, we're going to eat all of our salary cap woes right now in one year, get it over with so we can actually start competing next year with a rookie quarterback. It was designed to be that way. Outside of that, how many teams make up make the playoffs one year? Look look at the Browns. They made the playoffs. They made the divisional round. They only fell a win or two short of the postseason this year, even with all the crap that went wrong in Cleveland. So that team is still going to be competitive a bunch of weeks out of the year. I also look at rookie quarterback count. And, and by that, I, I guess it's young quarterbacks because you're talking about guys who maybe started a, a few games but don't have a full year of starting experience under their belt. Yeah, two to two to four years starting. I would, I would say one year, but I'd say if you were stuck behind a veteran for half the year and you came in, you're still green. 
you still don't have all the NFL NFL experience you might need in order to consistently win in the NFL. So I look at how many young and rookie quarterbacks are on your schedule. How many rookie head coaches? Because some of those guys come in, Chris, and it's like, <clears throat> Sean McDermott came into Buffalo, took over a roster under, under Rex Ryan that we all knew was underperforming, and took them to the playoffs right out of the gate. With less talent, quote unquote, less talent. But how many times do we see new coaches step in and struggle? Struggle to acclimate to the players that they have on hand because they have an idea for the team that isn't fully formed. Because Very you, rare that you get somebody like a Sean McVay. Well, I'm looking at like, so I'm thinking of Mike McDaniel down in uh, down in Miami. Now, a, a week or two ago, we talked with Elf Arteaga about this dynamic down there where he's going to take over an offense that has an atrocious offensive line. He loves to run the ball. He likes to do a lot of things off play action. He likes to make his offense very tricky, doing simple things tricky and with physicality. Well, in order to run that, you have to have the horses. And I underscore that it might take them two years to get that roster to where he can run his system. So with that in mind, there's going to be more rookie head coaches who are taking, I mean, they're taking over bad situations. Chris, you, you as a coach don't get fired for no reason, right? Your team underperformed. Yeah. I don't know a team that was winning and had a good roster and then fired their coach. <laughs> so these rookie coaches are usually indicative of a weak roster or a roster that might take time in order to really become what that coach envisions for them. And then also home and away count against those, against those various dynamics. How many of those rookie quarterbacks are you playing on the road and how many are you playing at home? That changes things. So you mix all those things together, Chris, and you get the chart that I sent to you. Why don't you tell the people what you're looking at? There's a chart, AFC early schedule comparison. We have, what was it, uh, seven teams. and It's everybody, I think, in the AFC that can, that everybody, and again, this is ahead of free agency. This is, this is as of today. Everybody who might be considered a competitor. Patriots, Bills, Chiefs, Bengals, Titans, Chargers, and Ravens. <clears throat> and I have it broke down into different categories. Top 10 quarterback, playoff teams, all the things I just laid out. Now, when you look at this, what are some of the things that stick out to you in terms of, uh, because if you look at it just by the traditional strength of schedule metric. Well, the first thing I'd going ask off you of, well, is. Hang on, what? going off of 2021 opposition win percentage, the Chiefs have the easiest or have the uh, highest, excuse me, at 53.533. They have the fifth most difficult schedule. And the Bills are listed at 12th. Not not that far behind them. Meanwhile, the Ravens look like they have a cakewalk at .474, which is ranked 23rd in the NFL. But when you dig into some of these other metrics I'm talking about, what do you see? Well, my first question is what's in parentheses? That's the home games. Against that dynamic. So you're so if you're the Chiefs, you have ten games next year out of your eighteen that are good what a full seventeen games, is it, Chris? Seventeen game schedule? Yeah. Ten games are gonna be played against teams that made the playoffs in twenty twenty one. And but only four, four of them are at home. So you're gonna be on the road against a ton of playoff teams. Doesn't that hurt you? Yeah, playing that amount of uh so you have Six road games against former playoff teams. 
Look at top it, ten quarterbacks. Yeah, they have. They play against seven top ten quarterbacks, three at home. <laughs> That's those two dynamics alone don't bode well, do they? No. And then you look at the Buffalo Bills. I mean, look at some of these other teams. When I pull up this chart, there's some highlights of it. And we're going to tweet it out over at Rockpile Reports so you guys can take a look for yourselves. If these are the only data points that they're drawing these conclusions off of, I have a hard time figuring out why the Chiefs are rated ahead of us other than Patrick Mahomes. I mean, first of all, they have the most in terms of top 10 quarterbacks out of all the AFC contenders. They play the most previous year's playoff teams. They're the only ones in double digits. Now, the Bills aren't far behind them at seven, but there's two other teams, the Titans and the Chargers, who are going to play eight teams. So it's not like the Bills are headlining there. Everyone in the AFC is going to play between one and three rookie quarterbacks, potentially, between Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Green Bay, uh, San Francisco, Indy, Tampa Bay. There's a lot of volatility on that front. But everyone, Chris, isn't it interesting that even though our schedules are so different, we all fall in that same range? Yeah. I like how that you have here Green Bay listed as a young rookie quarterback. You don't think Aaron Rodgers is coming back? He might not. So he falls into that category of if they choose not to and they put out love, that doesn't, does that or does that not change that game? 100% because Jordan Love is okay. trash. So it's just funny looking at all these things when you blend them together. I mean, the Bills have four games in 2021 against top 10 quarterbacks, and two of them are at home. That's a, that's a nice split. We have that luxury of playing the Patriots and Jets and Dolphins every year. And that's one of the things I want to hit on. How great is it? And for all the people who were shocked the way I was when I heard that we were betting favorites to, to make a Super Bowl and win it, I go, first of all, how the hell would that? Oh, our division. For the first time in decades, we're on top of the division definitively. Yeah, it's from a talent perspective, it's like we are the Patriots during their heyday. Like, I don't see the Patriots, based on their offensive coaching staff, being the same as they were last year. And I still think the Dolphins and Jets are far away from contending, especially the Dolphins now that they're trying to implement a new system with somebody that looks like he owns a chain of weed stores in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Ravens are interesting to me. I'm surprised that there's not more faith in them by Vegas because they have one of the easiest roads. They only play three top 10 quarterbacks from this past season, both of them at ho- two of them at home, five playoff teams with two of them at home. They have the same number of young quarterbacks from Carolina, New Orleans, Tampa Bay. Like There's an opportunity there for them to catch some lacking quarterback play. Four rookie head coaches, which is tied for the most in the, in the AFC, and their opponent win percentage is the lowest. I, Chris, shouldn't they be kind of touted as like the favorite or a favorite? Yeah, you should have put here for Bills a rookie head coaches. You should have made it five because we are playing Detroit and they always seem like they're coached by a rookie, even if he's coming back for their second season. <laughs> That's how bad Detroit is. Jesus Christ. Here's so when you think about all of this, Chris, and you see that the Ravens aren't in this conversation, right? Yeah. It's not the Ravens, even though Bill Barnwell would try to tell you that the Bills can't be a Super Bowl contender without Lamar Jackson because he's an asshat. Um, it, it's not the up-and-coming Chargers. 
It's not the Bengals. They're not talking about the Bengals repeating as Super Bowl uh, AFC champions. No, 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 no. It's the Bills and the Chiefs. Doesn't that tell you everything you need to know about how our quarterback is now regarded? It's amazing. I love it. Got one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You still need to throw yourself down a flight of stairs with a beer in each hand. I remember promising to do that. I remember promising to do that during a pre-draft podcast. Yeah. And look at us now. Chris, just for shits before we get out of here. Because obviously, it's just incredible to me that you can that, that we're in this driver's seat in the AFC. Now, before we get out of here, I got a quick question for you. The Bills went to the Super Bowl in 2020. Let's not talk, I, I just talked a lot about the contenders, and people who go to our Twitter right now as they're listening to this can go look at the chart and see all the metrics on the people who we deem contenders. But there's always the team that comes out of nowhere. That's who the Bills were in 2020. The last time they reached the conference finals, they were plus 3,200, according to Vegas, to win the Super Bowl to start the season. So it's clear that teams in that range can make a Bengals-esque run to a title appearance. The AFC the AFC teams in that range for next year, according to the Caesars Sportsbook, the Raiders are at plus 5,000. The Dolphins are at plus 4,000. The Browns are at plus 4,000, and the Colts and Chargers are each at plus 2,500. Of those teams, which of them do you think is capable of being what the 2020 Bills were? The one that just surprises everybody. I'd probably go with the Colts, but that also is dependent on what they're going to do with their quarterback situation because we saw this week that rumors came out that, hey, they're probably not going to pick up Carson Wentz. So then it's like, okay, what are you going to do for... A quarterback, then, if you're going to cut Wentz, are you going to be in the sweepstakes to get Garoppolo? Are you going to be able to get Deshaun Watson? Is would if Aaron Rodgers isn't going to Green Bay, are you going to be able to take that big of a swing and go after Aaron Rodgers? There's a lot of things that the Colts need to look at, but if they get the right quarterback in to replace Wentz, if that's what they're going to do, they would absolutely be. It's their only missing piece is a quarterback. And yet, that's a missing piece, right? Yeah. It's funny to me seeing this because I don't think there will be one. I don't think there will be one of these dark horses. And here's why. All of these teams, and you just kind of ran down what the big one is, quarterback play. Las Vegas, you've got a Derek Carr who every single offseason, everyone's like, is he just going to retire on us? Like, is he just sick of dealing with this dysfunctional organization? Is he just going to pack it in? Uh, the Miami Dolphins have Tua, who their fan base and their coaching staff can't decide if he's good or not. The Cleveland Browns can't decide if they want to pay their current quarterback. And rightfully so, but it's a giant question mark. Colts, did you just underscored it, and the Chargers, they know their guy is good. They just don't know what the hell to do around him. Well, they got Rashawn Slater. Is pretty, pretty good. good. Pretty good. The Bills were the only team that had a firm idea of what they wanted to be going into that 2020 season. They traded for Stephon Diggs. They drafted Gabe Davis and said, listen, we're going to be a passing team. Hell or high water. We're going to do it (laughs) because we think we know what Josh is capable of. 2019, Chris, we were a running football team that played defense. Yeah. We reinvented ourselves in a single offseason because of continuity and the fact that our GM understood what was going on with our quarterback. 
None of these teams have it. I'd argue none of them are worthy of the conversation. Now, if, if there's going to be a quote unquote Cincinnati style team to make the Super Bowl next season, it's going to be from the NFC. That I will, I would put, if you want, I'd put, I don't know how we could judge us, do a Seagrams on it, but I would definitely put a Seagrams on a surprise Super Bowl team being from the NFC because the NFC as a NFC East as a whole is trash. The NFC South as a whole is also garbage. The NFC North, if Aaron Rodgers is coming back, it's just Green Bay's division. It's almost like right now, if you're just looking at like uh, quarterback play out of the NFC, Super Bowl is on the NFC side is going to come from the NFC West or Aaron Rodgers. Think about it right now in your head. Go go down the list of the quarterbacks in the in the AFC in the NFC East and the NFC South. Yeah, you're just laughing now, <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And now, right. now look at uh, Minnesota, Chicago, and Detroit in the <laughs> NFC North. Wait, hey. I was told that Jared Goff would be good with a change of scenery. Yeah, Jerry Goff. No, not going to happen. It's almost like... He tied. He tied a game this year. <laughs> he tied. Yeah, I think that if anybody, if there's going to be a surprise run NFC next year. Uh, folks, we're only here having this conversation because we have Josh Allen. Number 17, wearing a Bills uniform... Prepared to build what is the house. Uh, Chris, if we win this, it will be known as, the, if we win next year, that new stadium will be known as the house that Josh built. Right? Yeah. He could, we, I don't know if we could get T.O.'s key to the city back. <laughs> oh, we take it by force. At this point, we go to his house and we just say, look, dude, you, you, you got to, listen, it's time. <laughs> the charade's over. You give me that. It, it has a new owner. Uh, that is, if that ever gets done, Chris, that's actually going to be the focus of our, our second podcast this week. But folks, for right now, bask in the glory of the fact that the Buffalo Bills are somehow, after losing the way that we did and being out of the headlines for weeks, we're Super Bowl favorites before this season even kicks off. It's incredible to me. I can't wait to get into all the nuts and bolts of how we're going to get there. As free agency plays out, as draft plans plays out, we're going to have weeks of shows lined up for you guys with guests from all over, not just Bill's content creation community, but I like to go outside of that a little bit. I like to bring in some new voices you guys don't hear other places other than here with us. Because Chris, let's face it, I love that this community collaborates a lot. How many times can can you have the same people on over and over and over again where they could just go to that person's show and get their ideas? Yeah. It's off-season. We like getting some new new people on. I'm excited about what we're going to bring you guys this off-season. Looking forward to it. We're also going to be doing... Chris is pointing to it right now. He's mad that I haven't already plugged it. Chris, why don't you explain to the people and grab me a beer out of the fridge while we end this? All right. Well, I'll get you a yingling because that's all we have right now. <sighs> I miss the Moosehead during the season already. Yeah, I like to switch it up in the offseason because Moosehead is for the the beer watch. But we're also going to dabble into some Twitter spaces. If you guys are on Twitter and want to join us for a fun chat, 
you get to talk to us years through. ago years ago chris i i offered up the idea of conversation hey we should take calls and chris laughed at me it was our second year of podcasting and he laughed me out of the kitchen no he was like drew your temperament you you don't do well yeah that i that i'm not but i think we've come a long way since then but also the platform that is twitter spaces is it's the one thing that I'm okay with allowing to have people like essentially a call in show because I know who I can go to. So if you're a regular listener and you're in on our Twitter spaces and you interact with us. And even if you're not, I'm I willing know, to give it a chance. Well, yeah. let's get weird. I I'll just, know who to go to for questions. And we've already got a slate of ideas. I mean, who out of all the Twitter spaces out there, who is going to bring you barbecue talk? Not just from a you know, yeah, we don't have to we don't have not, to keep it to, a connoisseur, but also from the National uh, Sausage Council president, Meat VP himself. Yeah, we could do that. Nobody can bring you stuff like that. Also, if you guys, if we do a Twitter space and you have a question about above ground swimming pools, we can <laughs> answer those too. No, we're gonna have a lot of fun topics to talk about over the course of the summer. We're gonna do these probably every other week, biweekly throughout the course of the off season. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Whoever wants to come out and participate with us, I'm finally, I think we've reached a point as podcasters where we're ready to get into fan interaction in a live setting, because I think we're both equipped to handle that, correct? Yeah, we have the, Twitter is allowing us the production to do that. And so, I think we've developed the chops for it. It's not for everybody. Taking a call-in call style show, or a fan interaction show, or a listener interaction show, they're not for everybody. Some of you guys are just as weird as we are. I know the stuff I would ask in a setting like that. So I get it. I'm looking forward to getting together with you guys all off season long and getting weird about football. And God knows what else might come up. It's going to be a good, it's going to be a good time. Anyway, we got to get out of here for tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And that's been your rock pile report. Before we get out of here tonight, folks, I want to talk to you about a company we're going to partner with for the offseason. That's La Via Italia Pizza in the South Downs, Hamburg, New York. There are, it, we're not getting paid for this. It's literally a company that I utilize their product. <laughs> I think you'd all enjoy it. If you like Buffalo-style pizza, but you don't like the hassle of having to go to a pizzeria to get it or paying the pizzeria prices, it's great self-rising homemade pizza. Bakes in your oven in as little as 20 minutes. It's been a family recipe that they've used for over 30 years. They have fundraisers they do for local charities. They offer home delivery. You can go into their store and walk in and buy it. It's quality products with all homemade ingredients. There's no preservatives involved. It's the best frozen pizza you're going to get anywhere. You can't get anything like this in a store. And we have a promo code. If you go to their website and order online, ROCK10, R-O-C-K-10, gets you 10% off your first order. That's La Via Italia. You can find them at laviaitalia.net. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.